The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good morning. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Fighting for Love. This show will help you turn conflict into collaboration in all your relationships. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank, an attorney mediator since 1985. She's the author of several books, including Negotiations, Breakthroughs, and Fighting for Love. She's a mediator for the Orange County Superior Court Civil Mediation Panel, and she mediates business, employment, divorce, privacy, and other civil cases in her private practice in Laguna Niguel, California. Mari's a professor of negotiations and conflict management and has been a certified state bar trainer for over 25 years. She teaches leadership and conflict management courses at Brandman University and here at UCI, and she trains corporate leaders' powerful communication and conflict transformation skills. To learn more about the show and our great guests, please visit conflicthealing.com. Mari, what's your show about this morning? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about passion in our lives. And I've been reading this wonderful book called Vital Signs, Discovering and Sustaining Your Passion for Life by Greg Lavoie. And he's also the author of another book that was a bestseller, Callings, Finding and Following an Authentic Life. So let me tell you a little bit about this great guest who is coming to us from the East Coast in beautiful North Carolina. Greg Lavoie is the author of Vital Signs, as I said. The subtitle is The Nature and Nurture of Passion. He is also the bestseller of uh, author and bestseller of Callings, Finding and Following an Authentic Life. And he's rated among the top 20, well, that's rated among the top 20 career publications by the Workforce Information Group. He's also the former behavioral specialist at USA Today and a regular blogger for Psychology Today. As a speaker, he's presented at the Smithsonian Institution, Environmental Protection Agency, Microsoft, National Conference on Positive Aging, boy, I need that one, American Counseling Association, the National Career Development Association, and many others. And he's been a featured uh, frequent guest on the, in the media with ABC TV, CNN, NPR, and PBS. So we're so thrilled to have him here, too. And he is a former adjunct professor of journalism at the University of New Mexico. And he's a former columnist and reporter for USA Today, the Cincinnati Inquirer. And he's also written for the New York Times Magazine, Washington Post, Psychology Today, and many more. And you can find out more about him and his books at Greg, that's spelled G-R-E-G-G, Lavoie, L-E-V-O-Y, dot com. Greg, thanks so much for joining us from the East Coast. My pleasure. I'm delighted to be here. So it looks like um, you have been writing about passion and finding your, your true calling, right? <laughs> so uh, has that been a, uh, a true calling for you? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, uh, years ago, I ran across a, an Italian writer named Alberto Moravia, and he said, it's important in life to pursue the one problem you were born to understand. <laughs> and I thought that was fascinating. And I think, w- for me, one of those 
that question is probably how do people create a life that really belongs to them and isn't a knockoff? Yeah, yeah. I think that motivated both my books. Yeah, I know sometimes people just want to be like someone else or they, you know, they aspire. Like, I, you know, I do have a mentor that I just love and, and he's wonderful, Bill Urey, from, you know, who wrote Getting to Yes and oh, yeah. Getting Past No. He was just on my show last week. He was my professor at Harvard and oh. um, when I took negotiations from him. And, you know, I'm like a groupie for him. <laughs> But, um, you know, I, I would love to, you know, acquire all that he has, and I love him. But, you know, I have to do it in my own unique way. So the yeah. things that he has taught me, you know, when I study with him, I have kind of created my own, um, you know, acronyms and my own way of teaching it. But, you know, it, it has become me. But, uh, you know, I know some people just try and copy other people, and then it's never going to work, right? Yeah. You know, there was an um, article that I ran across last year written by a hospice nurse, and it was called The Five Biggest Regrets of the Dying. Mm. And number one, number one on that list was that um, I gave my life away to other people and didn't lead my own life. I led the one I thought other people wanted me to lead. Mm. Biggest regret of the dying, she said. Right, right. No, I think it's so beautiful. I think it's, it's so important for us to really have that passion. So, you know, you talk in this book, and it's just wonderful about passion can be cultivated. You know, some people just seem so impassionate, right? They just have all this drudgery that, you know, life is drudgery, go to work every day, come home, this, the same thing. So, you know, how, how do we do that? How do we cultivate passion? Hmm. Well, you know, um, let me start here just because it's in the context of the show that you're doing and the work I think that you do around conflict resolution. Yeah. Um, I think one of the primary dramas in people's relationship to their, their own vitality and whether it's in the vocational arena or non-work arenas um, is the struggle between passion and security. Mm-hmm. Um, and my own experience as well as my observation has been that in the contest between those two uh, security tends to win mm-hmm. and passion tends to get back and um, the problem is, though, that if you're not expressing it, then you're suppressing it, right. or repressing it, or depressing it. Right. <laughs> they all mean the same thing, really, which is pushing it down. And I don't think you can do that with impunity, you know, certainly in terms of your health and well-being. Um, but the tendency is to want to go for security and safety and a sense of control over our lives, and that's understandable. Right. And, I, and I'm not saying that security is a bad thing, but I'm thinking of Abraham Maslow, mm-hmm. who's the psychologist who gave us the, hier- the, the pyramid, the hierarchy right. of needs. Right, right. right? And he said that um, people who tend to flourish the most over the years tend to be the kind of people who make the growth choice over the fear choice a dozen times a day. Not like as a once and for all thing, but a dozen times a day. Now, that, that's obviously a bar set pretty high, you know, but it yeah. says something about how we need balance between those two things. Some security is good and some passion is good. 
Right. And I think sometimes really fear holds us back. You know, I just took this 10-week class with a bunch of people, and it was The Artist's Way, if you remember that book that was oh, written sure. in the 80s, which I read it. In fact, I didn't have to buy it because I actually had the book. <laughs> but we, uh, but it was a class where we were actually doing the work and doing the morning pages and cultivating our, our passion and our creativity. And it was interesting that people were were saying, you know, I, I never thought I was good enough to do this art, or I never thought I was good enough to write a book, or I, I never thought I was good enough to create this invention. Do you know what I mean? And sure. I think it's that fear of just, you know, yeah, my passion is there, but, you know, I can't be like other people. I can't be as good as them. I'm not good enough. So I think a lot of that is is just, it holds us back, Right. Absolutely. And that's why I'm a really big believer in the importance of talking to yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, don't let those voices go by without um, questioning them and getting into conversation with them and inquiring about them. In fact, I mean, uh, this is because I'm a writer. This is how I tend to handle this stuff. Right. Is If I've got a a fear that's blocking me from moving forward in some particular direction, I will put the names of the two characters at the top of the page. Let's say, uh, more generically, let's say faith and fear. Yeah. Right? right. Or it right. could be me and mom, or it could be um, <laughs> do it now and do it later, whatever the, right. the two opposing um, you know, forces are. And I'll put down the page, faith, fear, faith, fear, faith, fear, down the page, and I will just um, write out a conversation between the two of them on the computer, uh, just on the keyboard, without yeah. taking my hands off the keyboard for 20 minutes. Yeah. And I'll just let the two of them have at it. <laughs> and they will. Right. And, and it's, it's, it's instructive. It's educational. It's, it's sometimes... You know, kind of stunning what the, comes out of their mouths when you really let them talk to each other and use any kind of language they want and say anything they want. Mm-hmm. I think that's to me has been one of the keys to conflict resolution. Yeah. Um, in terms of anything, following my passions, for instance, following my calls is let the two sides talk to each other. Don't stuff one of them or the other under the floorboards just to to be rid of the tension. Yeah, yeah. And and I th- I love your idea of, you know, putting it on paper and, and having like, you know, Sally scared and Sally successful or whatever, right. <laughs> you know, you have on there. I love the idea of doing that. Um, and because I think when we have it in our head, it's all mixed up, but it gets so much, there's clarity when you see it on paper or you see it on the computer, you know, you know it's it's written and it is, suddenly it just jumps out at you, right? I think there's something to that, that idea of, like you said, when it's down on paper rather than up in your head, there's something about concretizing it that changes how we think about it. I remember when I was in college, I had a uh, psych professor who said, anytime any of you guys have a headache, I want you to come to my office and I'll I'll help you get rid of it in five minutes. (laughs) And I went once when I had a, a headache and I went to his office and he sat me down and he said, okay, so what color is it? Um, if it was a vessel, how much water would it hold? If it was a six-year-old, what would it be t- saying to you? Um, what kind of metal is it made out of? And he would just ask all these questions. Yeah. And I swear to God, in five <laughs> minutes, that headache was gone. 
Yeah, yeah. There's something about getting, getting it out of my head and concretized in some way that seemed to shift it. Yes, yeah. I, and, and what I do if I get some kind of pain is I sit down and I meditate and I actually feel it and ask it, like, what are you trying to tell me, you know? Because obviously certain things are trying to tell you something, our body, body, mind, spirit stuff, right? And it's trying to tell you something. So I ask. I kind of go in and sit down and get quiet and say, okay, what are you trying to tell me? You know, what is this all about? (laughs) What needs to happen? The The word symptom means a sign. You might as well ask it what it's a sign of. You know, the the word pathology means the logic of pain. You might as well figure out what the logic is in it, you know. I, I think um, one of the best pieces of advice I have ever been given in my life was you need to learn how to suffer creatively, not just neurotically. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I, I did too. And, uh, and uh, what, what um, she meant by that was um, use it to grow, Yes. You know, figure out some way to transmute suffering into growth. Mm -hmm. And so she said, write about it. You're a writer. Write about it. If you're a dancer, um, dance dance it out. If you're an artist, draw pictures of your obstacles. Uh, You know, play it up. Talk it out. Yeah. And I just, there's something about suffering creatively that I think is really critical to, to being able to, gain momentum or regain momentum in your life. Right. So everything that we're given in our lives, you know, is is there for us to grow. And then, of course, if we have something that's that's a passion like you do to help other people learn to find their passion in life or for me to be a healer of conflict, if right. we squelch that, then we're just, I mean, it, it debilitates us, right? It absolutely debilitates us. But I know for me, you know, and you were talking about the difference between security and, you know, and creativity, right? And, um, and all that stuff. And are we going to sacrifice our passion and our creativity for security? And, you know, I, I, I think it's fear that does it. I know even for me, if I were to do exactly what I wanted to do, which I'm moving that way, I'm, I'm moving in that direction. Would, would be to, to, instead of helping people resolve their conflict, is to really teach them how to prevent it from escalating, you know? Uh-huh. And that's, that's where I'm going at, at my old age, you know? And I guess I've had to come to that realization as, you know, if you do it for 30 years, then you say, well, why can't I get these people to, to not even get that far, Right. So, um, but no, but I love it. And, you know, I talk to my kids about, are you doing your passion? Are you, you know, because then it doesn't, it's like that old book that I read years ago, Do What You Love and the Money Will Follow, right? <laughs> she, never, she never did say when the money would follow. <laughs> right, right. Or how much or whether it would follow you. <laughs> exactly. But it, seems, but a beautiful book it makes sense though, right? Absolutely. So let's talk about what we mean by passion. You know, we're sitting here on the campus at the University of California, so we have a lot of people trying to find what it is that they want to do in their life, whether they're undergrads or graduate students or medical students or law students or whatever, but yep. also people driving by who have the, you know, if they want to leave and start their own business, all these business people driving by. So, so what is passion then? Well, I mean, I define it really probably the way most people just intuitively do. It's, it's, um, it's spark. It's mojo. It's 
vitality, get up and go, enthusiasm. Um, but I, I think that it's not just excitement and ambition and desire and those kinds of things. It is that, but I, and I don't mean to sound melodramatic when I say this, but I think passion is ultimately a survival mechanism. Mm. Uh, and in that sense, definitely a matter of health and well-being. Because, and I say that because um, my attachment to life depends on my interest in it. Right. You know, so my sense of enthusiasm keeps me engaged in it. It's a survival. It's like my curiosity, mm-hmm. uh, my participation. Uh, I might even say my sense of gratitude and reverence. Yeah. And th- those kind of things are cultivatable. And I think that they definitely help us stay engaged in life, um, just keep us from swirling the drain as we get older. Um, so it's the impulse toward growth, yes. in a sense. To evolve, right? To evolve. Definitely. Yeah. The, the desire to evolve and to grow, and, and I would also add just to enjoy this experiment of life while you have the chance. Right. Not let it slip by and realize late in the game, oh, my God, I missed the boat. Right, right. I never did what I wanted to do or said what I wanted to say or loved the people actively who I claimed to love. Uh, I, I just sat around watching television. Mm-hmm. Bystander, right? Right. Just being a bystander. Yeah, being on the sidelines rather than on the playing field. Yeah. You know, and I've been thinking about that a lot when, um, you know, when we were writing our book, Fighting for Love, because it was about having passion in your relationship. You know, how to bring back passion. People are married for a certain period of time, and the passion is gone. Well, obviously, it's not going to be like, you know, all the good stuff that happens when you first fall in love and you're just, you know, out there. But how do you bring back passion so you really, really care about each other? And um, so that, you know, I think we want to have passion in our relationships as well as in our work. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, I think perhaps the same, uh, the same theory goes for both. And that's like, what do you do when you're bored? You look for something new. You yes. try something new. Right. You know, and I think it works in relationships as well as vocation is, um, and, you know, people who do research on these kinds of things have also discovered that people who tend to grow and evolve to to flourish the most over the years um, tend to be people who score high in novelty seeking. Mm, Yeah. And so, but that requires, I mean, you said it yourself, fear is going to come up anywhere you try to take a step toward any high calling. Um, you, and you're going to have to push yourself out of the nest repeatedly. Mm-hmm. I, I guess that's why Maslow said, you know, choosing the growth growth over f- fear a yeah. dozen times a day. Yeah, just Fe- constantly pushing yourself out of the out of the comfort zone. Yeah, like that book, <laughs> feel the fear and do it anyway. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Actually, yeah, I think it's it's, it's amazing uh, that what it can hold us back. And you know, I had a, another guy on my show, uh, but two researchers um, called "Words Change Your Brain," and the the thing that they found when they did all this research, uh, Mark Waldman and um, and uh, Andy Newberg, he's the neurologist, and the other one's the psycho psychologist neurologist. Anyway, they did all this research with MRIs and injected people with dye and all this stuff. And and they have found 
that we are just predisposed to negative thinking. Mm. And that's because of the fact that we have evolved when we had to run away from saber-toothed tigers, that we had to do that, you know. And so we have this, you know, our brain, the way it works, we have to retrain our brain. It's kind of like what you were just saying when you do the thing, you know, you have to let them fight it out. Like, you know, inside you have to have the, the, the one who wants creativity and wants passion to to really kind of take the upper hand from the the, the fear language right. and that that comes in here. So when you talk to yourself, you have to say, "Wait a minute, you know, I'm not going to have that negative thinking. I'm going to I'm going to reframe that. Like this isn't this isn't a problem. This is a challenge for me." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, reframing it is critical though, isn't it? Yeah. So I mean, that was kind of interesting to really see that there is real brain research to see that we have to fight against that negative thinking, you know. Yeah. And, and and I was thinking even with marriages or love relationships, you know, it's easy to go back into like, oh, you know, he's lazy or she's, you know, over emotional or whatever you want to start blaming the other person for. It's easy to fall into that. Mm, yeah. And and so you have to you have to look for the good, look for the gratitude, like you were talking about the gratitude and, and passion. You have to yeah. you have to and when you start acting differently, then the passion comes back back i know for myself as i was writing my book on this and you know i could see that my relationship with my husband was getting better and more passionate yeah it was it was a a little experiment because i had to walk my talk just like you have to walk your talk (laughs) (laughs) right yep yeah i ran across some some, similar study to the one you just mentioned um it was they took a bunch of people and they showed them pictures of happy stuff, pictures of neutral stuff, and pictures of negative stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, they found that the brain responded much more emotionally to the negative images. And what they, one of the things they concluded is, is that we have a very, very old, long-standing relationship to negativity that we don't have to positivity. Right. That that the the brain tends to focus on the negative because you need to survive. Yes. And you need to be concerned with what could go wrong. Right, right, right. Exactly. And so we, that, that, that brain stem activity needs to be balanced out with the frontal cortex stuff, right. which is about growing and reasoning and, and, and you compassion. Know, yeah, it's all up there in the frontal lobes. Yeah, that's, exactly. It's all up there. So compassion, which is why I think it's important to, to catch yourself in crappy self-talk. Yeah. And it's so interesting that compassion is made up of passion, right? Right, exactly. With passion. Compassion right. is like, you know, in Spanish, compassion is with passion. Exactly. And passion comes from a word meaning to suffer. Yeah. It does. Yeah. Means to suffer. It comes right. from the, the passion of the Christ. Yeah, exactly. And so it's all built in there, the, the, the uplifting passion and the down-pulling passion, you know, part of passion that... That's why, again, it's important to have conversations between these two parts. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, you, you talk about passion in your book is, is intimately related to health. Why don't you tell us about that? Oh, um, yeah. Well, there's definitely, I won't bore, bore you with the surveys, but there have been studies. You're not going to bore me at all because I'm passionate <laughs> about what you're talking about. <laughs> well, good. But there's been studies that show, you know, let's put it this way. Passion is about vitality, and vitality means pertaining to life. You know? So if you're suppressing uh, your vitality, you're suppressing your life force. 
And that's a health issue, in my opinion. Yeah. You know, um, if, I mean, I think of inhibition, the force of inhibition, holding ourselves back from, say, vitality or expressiveness or enthusiasm or authenticity. Clinically speaking, holding up defenses is physical labor. It's hard physical labor, and it is, de- by definition, draining. And the constant inhibiting of yourself um, has been shown to weaken immune, heart, nervous system, all these kind of major functions. So it's definitely a health issue. An- another way I think of it is, um, it seems to me, that the human psyche is, is like the earth. It's a closed system in the sense that there's no out, as in throwing the garbage out. You know, there's no away, as in running away from your problems or even your calling. Right. Um, there's, there's no trash icon in there, you know. Right. In, right. in other words, no whatever, delete. <laughs> yeah, there's no delete button. Whatever you push down is right. just going to come up someplace else in the system. Right. It's just basic systems theory. Everything's connected. Everything, everything's hitched to everything else. Right. Is the way John Muir said. And I'm thinking of this poet this Mexican poet that I ran across years ago named Jose Frias. Mm. And he said, I tried to drown my sorrows with drink, but the damn things learned how to swim. <laughs> yeah. That, to me, sums it right up. Is like that is why being who you are, saying what you need to say, uh, following your calls and your passions is a health issue. Yes. Because you're not going to be able to push those things away, la-di-da, without something hitting the fan. And one way that it tends to do that is is in the body. Exactly, exactly. I mean, you hear about people getting cancer. You hear about people, you know, the body, mind, spirit is all connected. And so, yeah, I mean, if we're not, if we're suppressing, it's going to come out in our body. Our body's going to feel it. Oh, you want to hear a really powerful example of that? Yeah, we got Um, about two minutes, so that'll be perfect. Okay, great. Um, the Institute of Noetic Sciences, yeah. noetic referring to consciousness studies, is in uh, Petaluma, California. They have the world's largest database of spontaneous remissions. Right. And, they, and I got a chance to spend some time with that database because I did a story on it. And one of the things that jumped out at me from these 3,500 cases from physicians all around the world was that what immediately preceded many of those spontaneous remissions was a profound affirmative change in the person's life, mm. finally marrying their longtime sweetheart, or finally reconciling with a long-despised parent, or finally taking responsibility for your life and making it happen. And that says a lot to me about the, the, um, the correspondence between passion and health. Right. Finally finding that aha moment in life, right? It's amazing. Exactly. Well, we are just about out of time, so I just want to make sure that we say your wonderful book, Vital Signs, Discovering and Sustaining Your Passion for Life by Greg Lavoie. And why don't you just give your website, and then it's going to be time to go. Great. It's www.greglavoie.com, G-R-E-G-G-L-E-V-O-Y.com. Well, Greg, you're wonderful, and we will have you back again, so please stay in touch, okay? Great. Thanks Thank you so much. So much. Bye-bye. You, you've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8.30 and visit our website at conflicthealing.com. Thanks. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.
I'm so pleased to present the weekly segment of Orange County Sheriff News and Safety Tips. And today we are speaking with Recruiting Deputy Stacia Russell, who is with the Orange County Sheriff's Department in the Professional Standards Division. And she has been with the department now for three and a half years, and she's currently on special assignment as a recruiter for the female recruiting department, which is very exciting. Stacia, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Mari. I understand this is pretty exciting that the department is interested in increasing the number of female deputy sheriffs. And we're here on the campus with lots of women that might be interested in getting into law enforcement. Why? And what are you looking for in the women that you're who might be interested? Well, Mari, the Orange County Sheriff's Department is actually looking to better represent the population that we serve. Fifty percent of our county's population is comprised of females, and right now our department doesn't reflect that. Our recruiting team is looking for well-rounded females with diverse backgrounds. Many people think you have to have a degree in criminal justice or have some type of experience in law enforcement, but actually the minimum requirement is just a high school diploma. We have a six-month paid academy, academy where we teach you everything you need to know to become a peace officer. We also have an eight-week mentoring program prior to the academy to prepare uh, recruits both mentally and physically for the uh, academy that they're about to take on. Mm -hmm. If you are looking for a career change, now is the right time to do it. We have teachers, lawyers, single moms who have all made the career change. Our next test is actually scheduled on April 9th, just in a couple weeks here, with a practice physical agility test on March 26th. And you can log on to our website, joinocsd.org, for more information. Well, that is wonderful. We're, we're going to have you back again to talk a little bit more about this. And that's very exciting. Thank you so much, Stacia, for joining us. Thank you, Mari. 